0: Welcome to Recovery His Way. I'm your host, Tom Reynolds. We're on the campus of His Way here in Huntsville, Alabama, and today I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Matt Norman. Matt, welcome to our program. Thank you. Um, Matt has served in a lot of different capacities, obviously been a resident here, um, and also serves as a campus leader here on campus, helping to manage and direct our logistics and and manage the program um, at certain times and also lives on campus and manages the guys and oversees the house and all that type of stuff. So your life's been pretty integrated with this for the last few years. Um, I guess we've known each other for about four and a half years. We originally met um, in 2016. And you've graduated twice the year. So you've done two years completely in the program. Um, So I'm interested in just kind of beginning by just kind of sharing with the audience kind of your um, recovery story what kind of what what brought this about w- where are you at
1: today what kind of has happened yeah so I grew up in Madison um, I have three sisters and a brother they all went to college uh, I went to Bob Jones I grew up in Boy Scouts I'm an Eagle Scout I played baseball um, I ran cross-country in high school and somewhere along the way I started using drugs um, how would you get into drugs? I mean, How would that, that somewhere along the way happened. It's it's weird. My I was thinking about this today. My stepsister was really good at school. And there was nothing I was really good at. But I loved the doors. And I thought that if I could be like Jim Morrison, I could be a rock star. So I had this obsession with drugs and with that lifestyle before I even used. And then when I started using, I never stopped. Um, I was very awkward, or I thought I was awkward. And... Um, I didn't feel like I fit in at school I felt like the kids were always laughing at me or making fun of me and maybe they were I don't know <laughs> but um and drugs kind of took that away and so I could pretend to be a rock star at least in my own mind or something mm-hmm. like that um but eventually it became a maintenance thing it became a a way to cope with any situation and any emotion
0: so So, i mean this starting. i mean would this start how old were you when all this started when did you want to be
1: jim morrison i was like 11 or 12. okay yeah i wasn't that good at baseball and i didn't make good grades and and that seemed like a good way to go (laughs) my parents Uh thought it was ridiculous of course and then so i realized it was rebellious and that made it even better yeah, like 11 or 12, but I didn't really start using until about 15. It's really hard to, that's when I could find drugs. When you and, entered the using and stuff like that, what did you start with? I mean, what? Uh, marijuana. Actually, no, that's not true. I started with beer because my grandma had it in her basement, and I could always go down into her basement and grab beer. Um, they had pills and stuff, and my sister always had pills, but I never got into those. Later, I would get pills from medicine cabinets and things. At first it was just beer and I would like take a couple beers and go to the lake or the pond behind my house. And it was more just like, oh, I'm doing the beer thing. You know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. I didn't even catch a buzz so much. But once I started smoking pot, I got I never quit. Okay. All right. Until maybe a few years ago. So I okay. came here. Yeah. All right. So,
0: okay. So you started that process. What happened? Okay. So you're, but, where'd your journey take you?
1: Yeah. My, my mom died when I was young and she had been divorced. I had a stepdad who i never related to. So there were all these other complications. Um, and so when, when, when my mom died, um, how old were you when that happened? I was 15. Okay. Once I, yeah, when I really started using drugs. And so that was the only way I really knew to cope with that. Um, And the idea of coping with it never even entered my head it was just like that was the reaction to it Mm -hmm. Um, my dad my stepdad at the time had adopted me and he remarried shortly after Um, but i just kept using i had no plans to go to college or do anything Um, i was just gonna do drugs i guess was my only plan i went to a lot of concerts and i think i had ambitions there like i would graduate high school and maybe sell burritos at a concert or something. That was the entirety of my plan. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so so where'd all that take you eventually? I stumbled into a career in restaurants and and that worked out. Um, and I got married somehow. (laughs) You don't remember? I say, I say somehow, I mean, I remember the details, but like, I don't, I didn't really have anything to offer. Um, but I got married, and I, of course, I got divorced. Um, I started along the way. I started using opiates, um, and that just became very problematic. I mean, marijuana wasn't good, but I didn't have to steal or anything to get it. You know, I didn't. Opiates are bad. Um, and I eventually got fired from my job for stealing money from the safe. I got divorced. Um, and all those bad things happened. And I thought it was the end of the world. I thought it was rock bottom. And um, that's when I stumbled into to church and, and met Ted um, from Asbury. Now, who so why, why would you have gone to Asbury? Why? So so I actually went to Asbury because the doors at AA were locked. And and I grew up at Asbury. Um, and I hated it. I, I just went and I played with my G.I. Joes. And I don't know why I hated it, but it was I wanted to be watching cartoons. And my parents made me get up early and put on clothes and and all these things. And I just wanted to watch cartoons. So I really resented it, Um, but I paid attention and I knew the stories, but I also, I guess part of me knew that they cared. I quit going when I was like 16. As soon as I could drive, I quit going and I hadn't been back. Um, The doors at AA were locked. That that was really the deal. And I called my old father-in-law and asked him for advice. And he told me that the only thing that could help me was Jesus. (laughs) So I said, oh, okay, I'll go to church. And that's where i went and 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 i ended up here after that why would you reach out to your former father in oh, law that seems like an odd I, it switch. is odd i respected him and i had burned every bridge i had um every bridge Um uh, my, my my parents went talk to me i see my parents my, my stepdad my sister had tried to help me i had burned her everybody was burned um my employer, you know, he had just How hired me. How old were you at this time? We walked in. And 33, 33 okay. 34. Okay. So yeah. it's like
0: 30 years or 15 years. of
1: Yeah. Of daily use. Mm-hmm. Well, near daily. I mean, I didn't, you know, um, as much as I could afford. And Ted was, was the only person who would have anything to do with me. And the fact that he let me live with him was a big deal for me. It's kind of where I realized the, uh, I guess, the love of Jesus. Because my dad and and my ex-mother-in-law and all these people were like don't let this guy in your house, you know, And it wasn't because I would have robbed him, right? I would have just stolen stuff and I think I did during that time too. I've apologized to him since, of course. Um, I mean,
0: it's a pretty bold move for Ted to invite you into his house for a month while you're on a waiting list to come here. Because um, I, mean, I understood, I mean, he has kids and stuff like that. This isn't just yeah. in a bachelor apartment. This is a family.
1: Right, right. He had two high school-age daughters. His wife was there. Ted's a big guy, though. I mean, he's like linebacker big. So I don't think he was worried about too much. But I thought it was reckless. I thought it was crazy. It's like, what, well, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I proceeded to use him in any way I could. And he knew it. He knew it the whole time, but he just wanted to get me here, Mm -hmm. right? Okay, so so fast forward, he gets you here. What happens? Well, he got me here, and so Ted had laid this foundation for me about what a Christian is and looks like, right? That kind of reckless love, but still not too reckless, right? (laughs) And then you guys, you, um, Stuart, the classes here kind of solidified that. It made it more permanent, and it made it... um, I don't know, it built structure on that foundation, right? I had the the emotional side, the touchy side, um, but it gave me, like I I had heard all these stories growing up in church, like I grew up in church, um, but here made them speak to me in a way that they were relevant, right? It wasn't this guy in a fancy coat who gets beaten by his brothers or something, right? It was was something that was relevant. And um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, it, it spoke to me and You know, I got baptized, um, but I still had to relapse and come back. Well, Mm -hmm. no, I didn't have to, but I did. Well, well, tell (laughs) us about that. So
0: when you were here the first time, what do you think you gained? I mean, you obviously graduated and you left, and then a few months later you come back. So walk us through that. What did you feel like you gained in your first time? What happened that that relapse happened? What prompted
1: you to come back? Yeah, I think the first time I was here, I gained all of it tools that I needed. I gained all the knowledge that I needed to live without drugs. Um, I just did not decide to apply them or like to plug them in, right? I just kind of carried them around in a backpack or something. Um, And I don't know why. I mean, I believed, but I didn't believe such that I wanted to live differently. Um, Maybe you could say I didn't believe. But I, I, I think I wanted both worlds. I wanted to still, um, get whatever I wanted from people and this and all that, but be forgiven at the same time and be, uh, and that doesn't, that didn't work out well at all. I had a, I had an easy run here my first time at way, but as soon as I left, I I relapsed. Um, and looking back, I, I set myself up for it the whole time, um, because I tried to keep one foot in both of those worlds.
0: What ways okay. were you keeping feet in the world? I mean, what what, do you, what does that look like practically?
1: Um, so for one thing, for me, it was mostly telling people one, what they wanted to hear. I could tell, I knew the right things to say. I could sound like I was doing the right thing. But in the back of my head, I'm like, man, I wonder if this drug dealer will still remember me if I ever need to reach out to him, right? You know, I kind of dip my toes in the water like that, like, oh, I just need to send him a text to make sure. Uh, There was a guy I owed a lot of money to, and I kept that in my back pocket and didn't tell anybody. You know, I I could have told you and you could have been like, okay, I'll have Jeremy Mitchell go pay him or something, right? Um, But I didn't because I wanted that in my back pocket. Like, well, I got to pay this guy, you know, knowing that I would buy something when I got there. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of reading the Bible and, and praying, but at the same time, still kind of wanting to use. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I don't know if I ever really wanted to use, um, but I did, and I think I do what I want to do. <laughs> well, you at
0: least wanted a lifestyle that that using would become a part of it, in some way, shape, or form. Uh,
1: yeah, I think I wanted to use successfully, right? Like maybe go to work and pay the bills and still have the recreation of using. Um, unfortunately for me, that line of recreation to an entirely. Different thing was crossed years ago, mm-hmm. right? Um, years ago, and there, there's no going back in my case. So,
0: once you're out, you graduate one year, you go out, you relapse fairly quickly yeah. afterwards. What just made you decide to come back? Why come back? What happened the second
1: go round? That when I when I when I left and, and relapsed, I knew immediately that I should have never left because I left not because I wanted to go out and help people or live a successful life. I left because I wanted more freedom, less accountability, that kind of thing. And that's not really the right reason. I mean, it could be a reason, but it shouldn't be the reason to leave here. Mm -hmm. Um, and I thought that I had hit this rock bottom thing before I came here the first time, um, you know, I'd lost my, I'd lost everything I thought. Um, but when I relapsed, you know, I would set up visitation with my daughter before I graduated And when when I relapsed, all that went away. And I realized that this this whole rock bottom thing is really kind of a myth, that there's no such thing in my opinion. And it's just like, you just either kind of survive or you don't, right? And so rock bottom, I think I realized was, would be me, you know, passing away or something. And so I kind of decided either I wanted, you know, to continue down that road or not. Um, And I knew that the only way to not would be to come back here. Mm-hmm. You know, and I kind of got over this whole performance-based thing with, with Jesus, right? I had to act a certain way. You know, even in the midst of all that, I knew that he still loved me. Um, but it got scary to realize that I could turn my back on that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that the only rock bottom would be for me to turn my back on that and then die of drugs. Right. Or stealing somebody's, like, $20 heater, you know, and getting shot for it or something. that would be bad. Mm-hmm. So... So yeah, I came back and I just, I wanted to, I, I didn't care about the rules, the freedoms or the accountability or anything like that. I just, I, I, did, I didn't want to die.
0: Um,
1: it's, I mean, you're a smart guy. I know I've known you for a while
0: and you're very intelligent and very resourceful. Um, you went through this program. I know you were a good student at the program the first time. You gained a lot of information. You come back into the program it's not like we do it different for you the second time i mean it's the same classes basically the same teachers the same material the same books that you're reading through um what made it different second time or was it different at all was it just um kind of you
1: know part two the the program was absolutely the same i i made it a point to kind of telling myself when I came back I, I think I sat down with you at one point and I said you know I had done this thing and that thing when I was here the first time and that was important to me I didn't get a phone the whole year the second year I was here um, because I didn't want any kind of contact not with people but with portals to the outside world right um, just all those things and I started going to school uh, I realized that the blessing of the, the the freedom I had right I mean it's like the point of being saved wasn't necessarily to not die, but to live in that, that freedom and that grace and, and all that. And I wanted to take full advantage of that. I, so I said, oh, I gotta do something big. Um, so I started going to school uh, and that was big for me. It gave me goals and, and taught me how to fulfill those goals, break them up into smaller goals and how to stay dedicated to a thing you know, that first year I was here it's like whoa a lifetime of sobriety what are you talking about like I haven't thought a week in advance in the last 20 years you know and so so yeah the second year taught me to do that mm-hmm. um so school was a big part of that and I decided that I wasn't going to leave I decided that whatever I did here I, I would just stay I mean whether whatever job I had whatever silly rules not silly rules there aren't um whatever I had to do I just I was going to do. Why Um, stay here? Is it just because you want to live in the bubble? Yeah, that was a part of it for sure. Um, Absolutely. At at first, Mm -hmm. I I think I was kind of scarred and frightened after that relapse. Um, So yeah, that that was part of it. Um, I I was scared to go to school and I was scared to have to work and have an apartment and go to school and all these things. Mm -hmm. So staying here helped with that. I, I got over it eventually. I went to New Haven for a writers conference that one summer, and taking flights and trains and all that stuff kind of kind of broke me out of that. I realized well, you know we can kind of kind of do this, um, and now now it's not because of a bubble. It's because this is the community I live in. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm interested too, and in, because I think
0: this idea of connection and community is such an important part of sobriety and recovery. Um, how has this become a community for you? And what does it mean that it's a community?
1: Right. I I never had uh, a community before. Um, my mom died when I was young. And before that, it was just you know, step parents and a lot of things. So even in my house felt kind of, I used to say, an orphanage. I, I hope they're not listening now, I don't, you know, <laughs> please forgive me. But, um, and in school, I, I was so isolated, um, purposefully, you know, um, it's not that the people hated me, I just, I, I was, I felt so awkward that I would always be by myself. I spent all my nights alone, reading in my room. Um, so Scouts is the closest thing to a community I've had before this. Once I started drugs, I always used alone. In fact, in secret, most of the time I would hide it from my wife or my girlfriend. So this place was the first place that I did experience community in a way that forced me to get along with other people or to be a part of other people to share things that's not true i've lived in ski resorts and stuff i'm used to sharing things but but that's different um this is this is different a community that i have people have to see me when i'm angry or when i say Mm -hmm. something wrong to somebody i have to deal with the consequences and i have to either apologize ignore them Uh, that doesn't work out very well so usually apologize but I'm forced to deal with the consequences, right? I, there's no hiding. Uh, there's no room to retreat to. There's no sanctuary. Um, so it's a community in that sense, but it's also a forgiving community that accepts that and is more interested in where we go from here. Mm-hmm. Right. So everybody's kind of growing together, mm-hmm. um, staff, residents, everybody. So it's a community for me in all of that sense. Um, well,
0: I, th- I think one of the things you've said that I think is really interesting is we're kind of in a culture today in which we kind of build these artificial communities that we can escape from whenever we want to, you know, right. we have kind of these kind of very superficial communities and we can retreat from them. We don't have to attend them. We, you know, we can even zoom them if we need to. So it requires very little, you know, but that this community has become an intimate community to you because they've had, you've had to wrestle with your foibles and your failures and your difficulties and embrace those things together and not, run away from, them, not flee them, not hide from them, but have to right.
1: kind of proceed through them. Right. Yeah. I'm absolutely forced to. I'm not forced to in the sense that I could live somewhere else, but that's one of the main reasons I choose to live here. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of become the thing that's been the most important part to me is the community.
0: I mean, it's, I've known you well during this time. And one of the things I've seen, and we've talked a lot about, I think has been an important part of your journey is that in it in when you've had these tendencies to retreat from things whether it be into reading or in your room or just run away um, You know, you've continued to come back to this I got to re-engage this and these are sometimes very uncomfortable things You know intimate personal relationships are not have not been your strong suit right. and yet you've had to kind of work through those and I've been proud of the way that you've managed those things um, you've got you know, you got bumps and bruises along the way in the process but um, I think it's helped you kind of solidify this well-rounded sobriety right. um, and I think you've worked on well which I think is great.
1: Right, and, you know, you asked earlier about r- recovery and, and I said there's nothing I particularly do for recovery. I think my life, I tried to make it where it's, there's no um, compartmentalized aspects of it, mm-hmm. right? Such mm-hmm. that I do my recovery on this night Right. I do my community on this night everything's kind of wound together right and this last school year I made that even more so I mean I had to do school here too <laughs> um, right all right um, yeah with COVID right? Yeah. you didn't
0: get to run away to school every day right so you've stayed here obviously and you've served in various capacities here which we appreciate and you've done a great job um what when you when you look uh, now at this kind of three I guess consecutive years of sobriety you've had um what are the things in place for you that kind of support that lifestyle? What are the things that you're doing actively to say this kind of not not necessarily say that I'm you know keeping myself from drinking today, but just kind of the things that support this new mindset, this new perspective. What are uh, the things
1: that you're actively doing? So, I really don't do much um, thinking about it, but I realize I do a lot. I I, I never think about recovery very much. I, I do because I work in a recovery center, mm-hmm. but in my own personal life, I never think like, Oh, I'm doing this thing for recovery. Like th- the biggest thing for me is, is structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wake up and, and I'm, I, I make my bed and I, I have a routine and, and I do that same exact routine every day, whether I'm here or, or somewhere else. Um, that's, that's the same that's, things you did before you came though? And absolutely didn't... not. No, oh, really? I mean like before, even, even my first few months, the second time in his way, I mean like if I had a job at seven in the morning, I'd wake up at like six fifty nine, you know, or whatever. Right. And, and brush. I would, I don't even, sometimes I wouldn't even brush my teeth and I'd get to work and my relationships would be horrible because it would take me about two hours to wake up everything. Like if I had a bill, you know, due, I wouldn't even remember the bill was due until after I had spent all my money on drugs. And then it's like, Oh man, the, the heat, you know, right. someone's going to pay the heat. Right. Um, but now it's very different. Like I, if even with school, like if I have a syllabus, I, I take it at the end of the semester and write every single assignment down. And I know ahead of time I have this thing do and that thing do. Um, I, and that's important.
0: To is me. that is that I mean, because one of the things about the program I think is significant is that there is structure and that people uh, come from an unstructured situation into a structured situation. And that helps kind of support this new life. Um, and then when they leave unfortunately in many cases they don't take the structure with them they don't imply those things and so then as soon as they're outside of his way it kind of goes back to the unmade bed and the and the disheveled kind of life and that kind of thing Uh, why have you have you chosen to keep the structure in because of some interpersonal kind of uh, feels better to me is it just is it one of those disciplines I've kind of maintained because I believe it helps
1: support my life what's the motivation there it's it's both for sure Um, a lot of it has to do with I want to live a transparent life that, that the guys that live here can look at and say, well, he's doing the same things we are, you know, to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, another part is that it works, um, and I know that it. I know what happens if I if I don't do that. When I left here, I immediately. When I realized, I immediately went back to my old lifestyle, and then everything else just came after that, because it's so it's also habitual, and the drugs were responses to certain stimuli so Mm -hmm. you put that stimuli back in and of course the drugs are going to come right right so the structure is absolutely important and and i i guess i kept it because i was i had built up so much momentum doing it that stopping was uncomfortable in a way and but also because i believe that those things work Mm -hmm. I, i tell guys often that we don't do very much here in terms of what we do but the structure we offer and the accountability we offer is kind of the fundamental tenets of the program outside right. of Christ, right? Right,
0: right. Um, I would agree. Uh, over this period of time, um, I realize you've been here. However, that doesn't mean that um, temptations and things aren't still a part of the recovery experience. Obviously, we see about 50% of the guys who are on the property here leave for various reasons because they fall to that temptation. What kind of threats have you kind of faced during the time you've been here and how have you managed those situations
1: right um for me i've found that the most threatening things are kind of little incidents Mm -hmm. um you know it seems intuitive that it would be you know divorce or a child being taken or something like that but in my experience those things have driven me more toward an accountability system or support they're not away from it, mm-hmm. um, whereas getting in an argument with somebody will drive me more toward the other end of the spectrum, okay. right? And so I think that a lot of guys have that same experience. I think that you get in an argument with your wife or your girlfriend or your employer, they accuse you of something, and it hits some soft spot you have, and just out of instinct or habituation, you, you want to use. I um, mean, that's been the biggest threat for right. me. Okay. I mean, Right? I think- like if my... Pride get hurts. Okay, pride gets hurt. Or okay, an argument,
0: right? Right. Okay, that's good. I mean, it's one of the things that we obviously try to work on here. Is and Scripture gives a lot of guidance on is how to manage conflict, right? How do you right. love people? How do you um, persevere with people? How do you overcome conflicts and and uh, how do you love one another through those difficult times and bear one another's burdens and right. all these kind of things? So learning how to resolve conflict becomes an important thing. I think. One of the things that you're pointing out there is I think many times people think of a relapse as, you you know, you go out and stick a needle in your arm. But it's it's more of relapsing in those not managing conflicts well, right, right, right. Um, having interpersonal tensions, um, not maintaining the discipline. You know, all of a sudden I kind of say, oh, good, I'm out of his way. I don't have to make my bed anymore. I do have to get him to do devotional right, and right. those kind of things. And all of a sudden.
1: And those are the things that are keeping you sober in the first place. Right. To an extent, right? Right. I mean, Right. I mean, making your bed doesn't keep you sober, but it's the, it's the structure that you build. It's the routine. Right. And uh-huh. the, how important that is. Uh, that right.
0: uh, I know one of the things for you has been education. Right. You, know, you came here and you've alluded to it already, the the education um, process. I guess two things I'd like to ask here. One, if you could kind of describe exactly what are the specifics? I mean, did you, st- did you start in high school education? Were you, you started a PhD when you got here? I mean, what kind of, what's been your educational training? And secondly, How do you think education has contributed
1: to your sobriety? Right. Um, My education path, I I did graduate high school. I I tried to do college once or twice before I came to his way. But it was this thing where I was just trying to make my parents not think I was a drug addict or something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) My girlfriend at the time, and I failed miserably. But when I came here the second time, I just wanted to go to school. Um, I didn't want to. I was working in a box factory and that just wasn't for me. I'm sweating now. I was sweating miserably then. Um, <laughs> it was too much. And school seemed like a good deal. Um, I'd thought about it a lot. So I started going to Calhoun. I just registered and took some classes. And Which is the community college? The community, community right? college, yeah. They, they take anybody. Um, I mean, I'm just saying they do, right? They took me. Um, and I just found it very pleasurable, uh, you know, to learn and to, to write, and that was my job. Um, so quickly i wanted to you know that kind of the attic side of me right i gotta do more and more and more so i kept going and i transferred to UAH, um, and i'll be a senior this year me and a bunch of 20 year olds went <laughs> What
0: <laughs> what's your okay so you're getting on to your how did school how's school gone for you have you struggled really, through it is it no, going it's, well it's
1: gone really well and, and i think the thing is is so school for me i i approach it almost as something I enjoy. No, I, that's exactly how I approached it. It's, it's something I enjoy, right? Uh, some people say, oh, well, yeah, I treat it like a job. I don't know anything like that. I, I've worked plenty of jobs and, like, I dreaded that. You, you um, can't seem to treat it like a hobby. Yeah, it's almost like a hobby, for sure. Um, it's passion. going really well. Yeah, it's a passion. Um, it's going well. I, I do philosophy um, and I just read and write a lot, which is reading is something I've always loved to do and writing is fun. Um, but it's neat. You got to talk about all these big-headed ideas and things. Um,
0: How has that contributed in your mind to your sobriety? How does education, how do those two
1: things work together? I think the most direct impact education has had on my sobriety is that it's taught me how to plan and how to do things, right? So if I, when I started going to Calhoun, you know, I had the idea, oh, one day I'll be a professor and teach something. Little did I know how far off that was, right? And so I learned how to, take it a semester at a time and a class at a time and furthermore an exam at a time right and so every little thing I do if I just have to read an assignment and write an essay on it I think of it as like that's the thing that I have to do right I have to do this 110 mm-hmm. percent and I want to get as good a grade on it as I can and do it get as job as I can and I do that with every little thing and it's kind of carried over into my other life I think it's all one life there's no other life but you know, if I clean my room, it's kind of the same thing, it's, right? It's like, that's right. the thing I'm doing now. Right. And I need right. to do it a hundred percent and I need to clean my room well. Um, I'm hoping it'll kind of trickle down into personal relationships someday. <laughs> we're getting there, you know? That's okay. the hard
0: part. So as you look toward your future, um, obviously you're here right now. You're applying to graduate school, I know. Um, what passions visions do you currently have as you envision your ongoing recovery journey?
1: right um i haven't thought specifically about recovery journey I, I know generally i have two things that are weighing heavily on my mind one is that i'd like to be a professor um that the idea of spending eight more years in school while that sounds great it also means that i'd be quite old on the job market that's maybe the worst in the country i mean that's that's kind of scary. Um, I do want to go to graduate school and I'm actively pursuing that right now. And I'd like whatever I do, um, academically to revolve around recovery, addiction, faith. Um, I'd like to get involved in some larger social issues. Um, incarceration's a big, big topic for me. Whatever I do, I'd still like to be involved in this work on some level, whether it's the only work I do or whether it's something I volunteer with on certain nights. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't ever want to stop doing this recovery thing. And by that, I mean working in it, not necessarily as a personal growth thing. Right. Okay. So, more education for sure. Um, that's been a good deal. <laughs> so, I don't want to stop that.
0: Um, that's good. I mean, I think yeah. it's really been exciting to watch your growth and your maturity through the education process. And I think one thing that happens with education, too, is that it kind of changes one's trajectory for their life. You know, before in, in addiction, it was like what restaurant management was <laughs> kind of my, my, my ceiling the there. Yeah. And now you've kind of broken through that and, and it's reordered your world in some ways. It's trained your mind to think differently. So you view life differently. And it's really out of that how I view life and how I responded that my addiction comes from anyway. So if I'm seeing and dealing with life differently, addiction kind of becomes, and the response to that kind of becomes an irrelevant
1: response right. at the point right. that i change that perspective. That's, uh, the, you know, I think with addiction, and, and our friend Doug says this all the time, right? You have to change everything and learn new stuff. And I think that's very true. I, I think of like, if you're a baseball player and someone throws a ball at you, you're either gonna swing or try to catch it, right? And addiction's the same way. If, you, if I re-enter certain circumstances or situations. I'm usually going to react in the way that I've trained myself to do so. So if I can create a whole other trajectory, mm-hmm. right, then, right, it's much right. easier to stay right. sober, right? I don't necessarily have to think about staying sober. It's right. just I,
0: well, I've enjoyed our journey together, and I've enjoyed um, your being a part of it, and look forward to continue to do so. I guess the last question I want to ask as we close is: you know, some people may be listening to this or watching today who have been afraid to enter it you know they're kind of before you met ted kind of situation right. what would you say to yourself or what would you say to them um while they're kind of out there struggling
1: with what's my next step right i'd say you have to take a step um i understand that it's daunting it's terrifying and you know addicts were not thinking more than the next dose away i don't remember what used to say dose but you're thinking in short time spans like that. So the idea of spending a week sick or, or six months in a recovery center, that's, that's, uh, you know, that's just not going to happen, but you have to. And, um, the thing is, is, is there's help for everybody and, and you certainly can get better. And those feelings go away after no time, really, uh, in my experience. I would say don't wait for some kind of rock bottom thing to happen because I don't think that that's what anybody wants, and um, it changes. <laughs> so if you want to get sober, then then do it. Um, you're gonna need help, and so maybe stumble into a church or something, or okay. or stumble into his way. Right. You see that happen often, right? Just right. come in the front door, right? Um, or it's twenty twenty one, so you can just get on the website. You don't even have to go anywhere. You can be isolated and do it. <laughs> okay. so right. google had to get sober right <laughs> and then uh and then come to his way
0: right right i think one yeah. of the things i think so often it's daunting because it feels like a prison sentence or some kind of i'm going to put myself yeah. in this incarcerated situation but you've kind of you came maybe with that mindset to some degree but now you've made it a life for yourself and so this is maybe in some ways the best part of your life experience i mean this Absolutely. isn't this isn't been a penalizing situation it's been a a redemptive and blessed situation which my friends are here my freedoms are here my experiences are here my um my whole retooling of my life has been here and so it's not a terrible experience
1: been a great experience (laughs) yeah drugs are the prison and that's the paradox of it is they seem freeing but that's the deceitfulness and the maliciousness of it is that it seems to free but really it's binding you tighter the whole time right? right so the thoughts and everything like that yeah aren't normal thoughts they're, they're skewed thoughts mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Um, it took me a while to realize what freedom was you know? mm-hmm. and it's not it's not being high all the time
0: right exactly <laughs> yeah. there's a freedom that Jesus promises right that you right. you'll come to know the truth and truth will set you free that's right and uh, that's the ultimate freedom that God designed us for and uh, that he wants for us and yeah the world offers all kinds of freedoms they just um, tend to just turn the screws a little tighter right, right. on our slavery. Right. So, Well, Matt, I thank you for sharing with us today, and I thank you for the journey that we've been on together over these last yeah, few years you. and look forward to its future. Thank you for listening and watching today. If you'd like to learn more about His Way, you can check out our website hiswayinc.org.